0: So since we're still at the early parts of the year, I know that some of you have a habit of reading through the Bible every year. And if that's the case, you've probably started with Genesis. And so Genesis is hopefully relatively fresh in your minds if that's part of your routine. Of course, we remember that the opening chapters of Genesis are the story of creation. And when you get to chapter three, we have what is one of the most consequential chapters in all of the Bible. It's the story of the fall of man. And as you may recall, God gave to Adam a simple command. You may eat of any tree in the garden, but not the tree with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat that, you will surely die. Simple. One command. Now, because of the introduction of the fall of man, we know that God said, if you do this, you will die. The consequence of sin is death. It was that same consequence that the serpent said, he's joking, surely you will not die. So it is easy for us to automatically equate the introduction of sin with the introduction of death. That is the primary consequence. And for us Christians, we realize that the worst effect of it, the ultimate effect of death, is not felt upon our physical death. It's what comes next. For those who are not covered in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who are unable to stand before God, recognized as one who has already given themselves to the lordship of Christ, those who have not will then experience the ultimate unfolding of the consequence, the second death, the lake of fire. And so you would be excused if you read through chapter three and simply thought of sin, sin, and death, and that being the only consequence you need to know about. But there's actually more. Because, ladies, you may know where I'm going on this one. God said to Eve, because of this sin, from this point forward, giving birth is going to be about the most difficult, excruciating, severe experience you ever have. And you also will be subjected to your husband's leading. And to the men, he says, that earth that beforehand gave so freely and easily of the food that you needed to live is now going to be cursed. And it's going to work against you. And you are going to toil against the thorns and the briars, the weeds that grow up, so that the food that you would have easily had access to is now going to be in competition with things that do nothing but frustrate you. From the moment you start planting something and preparing the soil to the moment you harvest the fruit, that which used to be easy is gonna take your sweat and your toil. We use the word labor in both instances. For the pain of birth, for the hardship of working the earth, because life which God had created to be easy, has now become hard. Instead of doing it God's way, we had to go and do it our way. And as a result, we are misaligned with the will of God. And life gets hard. I think alignment is a really easy way to convey this concept. If you have a car and the tires are out of alignment, what you have is a vehicle that you want to make go in one direction, but the vehicle is always fighting you to go some slightly different place. You are going to get it to go where you want it to go. But there's going to be a price that's going to be paid, and you're first going to see it in the tires where you have some uneven wear patterns because your tires, instead of going straight, are going in the direction they want to go you've compensated for that. So it starts having friction and you see the wear on the tires, but what you may not be aware of is that it gets worse. Instead of rolling smoothly, it's gonna start shuddering and you're gonna start getting vibrations. Your gas mileage is gonna go down because your engine has to work hard, but things start shaking and vibrating and nuts and bolts start getting loose. Welds maybe start being subjected to stresses and strains that they weren't used to. Things might start cracking. And a vehicle that was designed to perform efficiently and effectively starts losing its ability to do so. Its lifespan shortens, its operational performance diminishes because it's out of alignment. Physically, you understand this too, because if you have, let's say, sprained an ankle, tweaked a knee, and it causes you great pain to try to walk normally, but you still have to get around, you keep walking but you adjust your stride, you adjust your gait the way that you walk, whereas the way your body used to flow in harmony with the skeletal system, now all of a sudden your brain says, don't do that, that hurts, and you compensate. And what you don't realize is happening is that your femur is no longer hitting your hip joint the way it was supposed to. And so you're putting wear and tear on your hip your body compensates for that. And now all of a sudden your lower back is taking the brunt because your hips and your pelvis are out of whack. And before you know it, a pain that started down in your ankle or your knee is resulting in back spasms because the muscles are trying to convince your skeletal system to go where it's supposed to go but your brain is saying it can't go there because of one simple misalignment. You are feeling pain everywhere. And those of you who have dealt with chronic pain know that it wears you out. Your lifespan is being shortened. Your effectiveness is being diminished because you and your body are physically out of alignment. That's what's happening to all of us, folks for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What that means is that spiritually, we are all out of alignment with God. We are working against his purposes, which means we are working against the way that we were designed to function best. And as a result, we are wearing ourselves down. Now, it might be something small, but the problem with small things is that they keep accumulating. And so if the one small thing affects you today and you don't get relief from it tomorrow, what affects you day after day after day compounds to week after week after week, which reaches the month after month after month. And before you know it, you are just worn out. And now all of a sudden, because you are worn out, your immune system, which would have easily warded off some kind of sickness, now can't do it. And now not only are you worn out, you can't get out of bed. That's not a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it happens faster. Sometimes you were hit with such a panic attack, such an overwhelming sense of anxiety, that you can't sleep. And if you don't get that fixed, a week without sleep, will really mess you up. It will wear you out. And if you're not sleeping, your brain's not clearing, if your brain's not clearing, you make really bad choices, sometimes ones you don't even know you're making. That's the way sin affects us. We all experience it. And the further out of alignment we are with God, the more restless our lives become. And that's why so many people are worn out. But this isn't new to us, though. Especially anybody that knows the old-time cartoons. You see the old Western ones, and you see the graveyards filled. Inevitably, what they have on the gravestone is R.I.P. Because the greatest hope that we all have is that when our lives end, we may finally rest in peace. Friends, this is one of the things that the author of Hebrews is conveying in chapter 4 right here. There is this invitation that was extended to the Israelites that the author of Hebrews is now saying wasn't simply about them, it's about you. It's this notion that, that there is this rest that we need because we have brought unrest upon ourselves and rightly so. But that was not God's desire. I am not a universalist. I'm not saying that all are saved. But I will say that it is God's desire that none would perish. It is God's desire that we would all enter into his rest. It's stated in 2 Peter 3, 9. says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. So the desire is there, but the reality is there will always be those who choose not to repent, who turn away from this invitation of rest. And so they find themselves facing judgment. And it's important to understand that that's what happens because we say God is love. We were talking about that earlier in the week. And for God to be love in the way that God intends for us to understand love, you must understand that there is no true love without justice. Jesus allows us to escape the penalty because he took it. Justice is performed through the sacrifice of Christ for those who will accept his bloodshed. For those who turn from it, though... God's justice overrides his desire for them to have rest. And that's the way it works. We committed treason. God gave us a way out. And what God said is, if you accept my son, you'll receive not only salvation, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, and your life will be transformed. Paul uses the analogy of a tree. In a tree... That is bad can only bear bad fruit. But a tree that is good, because the Holy Spirit lives in it, will be demonstrating itself through obedience. You will bear the fruit of love, of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control. The fruit of the Spirit born through a good tree. Your obedience demonstrated by what is brought forth out of your life. That's why ongoing disobedience is a sign that you didn't get your alignment fixed. It's one of those ways that we can look and say, you may think that you are aligned with Christ, but your life shows other. I'm not saying that you were saved by works. But saving faith demonstrates itself through your works. Your disobedience suggests maybe you're still battling. Just food for thought there. Now, the author of Hebrews cautions us about that very notion. I said it a couple of weeks ago. I'll say it again. He is essentially saying, folks, don't kid yourself. There were plenty of people were walking with the tribe of the Israelites on their way to the promised land, looking right, playing the part that didn't get in because they disobeyed. But understand that as the author of Hebrews is saying that, he's also saying this, as long as there is breath in your lungs, you who have been disobedient can turn and obey Now, this is going to result in a message that is both offensive to those who have grown up in the church, but also should be the sweetest music to the ears of those who understand the depths of their sin. Because what it means is that an abortion doctor can repent and receive the glorious forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It means that somebody who was an adulterer can repent and receive forgiveness through the bloodshed of Christ. It means that somebody who is a liar or a thief or a backstabber can repent and receive forgiveness. And folks, it even means that someone who is a pedophile or a rapist or a murderer, who does the most horrible things that we can possibly imagine, can, while there's still breath in their lungs, Seek the forgiveness of God, repent of their ways, and be washed clean. It's a powerful message. It's a message that we, as Christians, are called to proclaim to the whole world. Knowing that all need it, and only some will heed it. But it is our call, and we need to bring that message. It is simply this, those who believe in God's promise will receive his rest. Those who do not, will not. Now, the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand a little bit more clearly what he's talking about. Because when he says a Sabbath's rest, he's not talking about a rest one day a week. And the reality is that we we know that can't be the case, even though, yes, our bodies were designed to have a day off. We function better with a day spent worshiping God and taking it away from the rest of the world. But the entire world functions that way. Everybody needs a break. So the promise isn't that we simply will get a day off because the entire world can do that. And that has no eternal benefit. So God's not simply talking about taking a Sabbath day off every once in a while. Now, the text that the author is quoting throughout Hebrews is referencing the Israelites as they approached the promised land for the first time. And he is saying that those who disobeyed God's call will never enter into his rest. So it, he's taking a context that talks about Entering into a physical place, the promised land. But the author goes on to say, but that's not what he's talking about either as the end game. Because ultimately there were many that entered into the promised land. Entered into Israel. Who were disobedient and didn't receive ultimately what God is talking about. And and as the author points out, this is something that David writes about long after Israel was established. So this rest comes not from entering a place either. It's not a day on a calendar. It's not a place on a map. There's something more significant to this rest that he is talking about. So what are we talking about? We're talking about, folks, the rest that finally comes from being properly aligned with God having a life that no longer has all those points of friction that come from us wanting to do things our way instead of God's way. And it manifests itself beautifully because ultimately we'll see this fully realized in God's kingdom. When we get there, we are going to be freed of this body, this body that has physical material demands that cause us to look elsewhere as opposed to God. It's not easy to devote yourself wholly and completely to worship when you're hungry. That's why fasting is such a spiritual discipline to be cultivated. Our physical needs get in the way. In heaven, we don't need to worry about that. So that should help us with another misconception about the rest that God ultimately gives us. Contrary to the way some cartoons depict it, When we get to heaven, we're not gonna be floating around on the cloudly version of the perfect lazy boy chair. It's not gonna have the massaging function that gets you going because we're freed from all of that. Our bodies weren't designed to recline. Our bodies were designed to worship. And so we don't need to worry about sleep. We don't need to worry about paid time off and vacation days. When we are finally in heaven, the fully realized version of God's rest involves worship, round-the-clock worship, because that's what we were designed to do. No more misalignment, perfect harmony, our bodies synchronized perfectly with the will of God and nothing to distract us from it. So. Three things I want to simply recap for you. The most exhausting thing that you can possibly do is to be outside the will of God. Put it another way, it's exhausting when you don't trust God completely. Second thing is that the promise of rest (coughs) only finds itself truly fulfilled with those who will devote themselves completely to the guidance of the Holy Spirit acting in accordance with the very word of God, who I might remind you is Jesus, our Savior, and that the promised rest will only ultimately find fulfillment when we find ourselves in God's heavenly kingdom, freed of a decaying body, constrained by these worldly needs, and allowed fully to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus made a declaration in Matthew chapter 11. He says, "Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. If you like the other translation, heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, And my burden is light. I am confident that most of you are familiar with those words. You've probably seen them written. You've probably heard them preached. But do you truly understand what he's saying? And that's the difference. An invitation is presented, but do you hear it enough to accept it? So many heard God's invitation to enter into the promised land, but they didn't understand fully what it meant, that they were entering with God's protection and provision and not their own ability to defend themselves. They heard the invitation, but they didn't understand all that went with it. You have Christ's invitation to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, to receive his rest not as you understand rest, not as the world understands rest, but as you were designed by your creator to receive it. And there are too many of us in this world still trying to control the things that we think we ought to control because we don't understand that entering into God's rest means that these challenges that come before us, he's already got them. And whether those are challenges about our health, or the health of our loved ones, or about our finances and business and what we think might be a looming catastrophe, God's got it covered. Those Israelites turned away out of fear because there were giants in fortified cities living in the land, and God already had a battle plan to deal with them. I promise you, there's nothing that you're facing in your life in a situation that you're working so hard to control right now that God hasn't already figured out the solution. I'm not saying you're going to like what he's figured out, but I promise you, his plan is far better than the one that you can imagine. And so I want to remind you that there is only one solution. And it is that invitation that Jesus himself has extended to you. That if you will turn away from your ways and follow his will and come to him, he's got it covered. We're to close with these words that the author from Hebrews uses. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Instead, come and enter into his rest. Amen. Let us pray.